Welcome back. Episode 8 of the All the Fly Kids show. This is the creative control episode. And today's guest is very adamant about having creative control within his process. And I, I appreciate that because I, I would like to have a lot of creative control as well, which I do. Um, this this gentleman, known him for several years, um, followed him in his travels from D.C. to the West Coast and back. He's worked for some companies that many of you have patronized several times over. Um, we'll get into that later on in the show. He's a freelance marketing strategist uh, hailing from the D.C. area. We have Victor Nguyen Long with us today. What's up, Geronimo? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on today. How you feeling today? Uh, good, good, good. It's not that cold, so... Wait till tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's, <laughs> that's what I heard. That's when the shit hits the fan. Yeah, but I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take any little bit I can get. Nah, I, I, I'm I'm the same way. I'm not a big fan of this this climate change stuff. But um, just you mean, the, you mean the climate change that it supposedly doesn't exist? We, you know what? This isn't a political show, so we're not going to get into that. Oh, <laughs> we are in D.C. Everything's political. You know what I'm saying? Very true. Very true. But we we're not going to get into into that political conversation today. Um, but um. Anyway, uh, so Victor, where, where are you from? Where are you from in the D.C. area? Uh, so I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, born and raised. Okay. Um, and then uh, went to school in Atlanta. And then, uh, like you mentioned, did the shuffle east and west like, a few times, actually. Okay. Uh, and just came back to the DMV uh, two years ago. Okay. Living in Shaw now. Okay. So growing up, what was D.C. or just the region in general? What was What was that like? DC back in the day, it was like there were really. I mean, if you lived in the suburbs, right, mm -hmm. um, either on the Virginia or the Maryland side, really all you knew about DC was uh, Georgetown, Adams Morgan, and maybe Dupont, mm -hmm. right. Uh, and depending on your different interests, you might find yourself in other areas. Um, but generally speaking, like that's what DC was known for. And then you you went in and out of DC uh, strictly for work. Okay. Um, and so to come back, you know, uh, you know, 37 years later, uh, and to see that the, the way that neighborhoods have evolved and the development that's happened, um, and the injection of, of, uh, resources and, um, and whatnot, it's, a it's, a, it's a really interesting and fascinating time to be, uh, to be in the city. Mm -hmm. Um, but for, for anybody that grew up in the suburbs, like you knew that like you avoided K street, you knew that you avoided, um, U street and Logan circle and. Uh, definitely uh, anything with the east in it, mm -hmm. uh, southwest, uh, southeast, northeast, and, and even southwest, unless you're going to the fish market, right? You, uh, you just didn't go there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, there was very, very select pockets of, uh, of the city that you would venture into um, if you lived in the suburbs. Did you venture into these parts of town where people told you not to go? Maybe. Because you're a pretty cool guy. And you gotta venture into some of the, you know, the the edgier places to get to to absorb the cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, my first hip hop show was at the Capitol Ballroom, and it was uh, Roots and the Goody Mob and Fuji's. Okay. Um, and I remember that being the first time, one I ever experienced bass like that. Mm -hmm. But it was also one of the first times that um uh that i was able to convince my folks to to let me go somewhere sort of on my own okay uh and uh and i remember 
getting off the metro stop and like bolting there and just being like, where am I? <laughs> um, for those that don't know, like uh, Capital Ballroom eventually became Nations or was it Buzz then Nations? One of the two. Well, Buzz was the party. Buzz was the party. Buzz Nations was the party at, at Nation. Yeah. 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 That's this uh, Nation is no more. This was formerly in the Navy Yard in Southeast, uh, right where the um, uh, Nationals ballpark is now, right across from that church that hosts noon mass <laughs> on the day of uh, Sunday uh, Nationals games. So, yeah, right. yeah. 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 Uh, so I went there and then I remember um, I was really into um, early in high school. I was also really into punk. Okay. Um, and so uh, ended up managing to go to the original 930 Club a few times as well. Mm. Um, I also was really into like really into b-boying. Yeah. Um, even though I wouldn't, I would never consider myself a b-boy myself, but um, I had older friends that spent a lot of their time at tracks. And another, so another throwback. Yeah, another throwback. <laughs> um, and that's one I honestly like to this day I regret never having a chance to um, to experience. Um, but one that if you just look back at like the, the, the cultural history of, of DC, Mm -hmm. um, tracks is definitely one of those, uh, institutions, um, uh, for, uh, for b-boy culture in, in, uh, in, in DC. Absolutely. So much happened to tracks, uh, b-boy culture, um, gay culture, Essence used to perform there on like, uh, what night of the week was that? I can't even remember. Essence used to perform at tracks. Often oh, yeah. for a long time, a long time. So yeah, so so much happened to tracks. Yeah. So I found. I mean, I managed to find myself in 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 some precarious situations uh, growing up in DC. But honestly, like it was, it was it was all pretty. It's all good fun for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So ended up in college in Atlanta at uh, what Georgia Tech. Yeah. Okay. School in Georgia Tech, the Yellow Jackets. Okay. Uh, and, and that was based on nothing other than. I applied to a bunch of engineering schools because that's what a good Asian son's supposed to do. And see, that's what I wanted to really ask you about because I only know you for marketing. Uh, yeah. And to know that you went to school, you went to college for electrical engineering. I'm just like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and most people, yeah, that's it. It always takes people to surprise. Like, I mean, it, it, if you if you uh, know a little bit more about my history, it's it's not entirely too surprising. Uh, it, honestly, like my folks for old Asian people uh, who have been here since uh, my folks are 86 and 80 and I'm 37. So my folks are quite a bit older than most people's. Uh, and uh, they came over here, they immigrated here in the fifties and sixties to go to college. So they've been here for a minute and they've been rather open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is, I mean, absolutely the, the stereotype of Asian parents wanting their kids to become doctors and lawyers and engineers is, is that's a, that's an immigrant ideal altogether because my my father and his whole family same way he's he's from trinidad yeah and it's i mean it's practical and it's well-paying and it's it's a respectable job right Mm -hmm. um and so um for me i grew up i've had a computer in my house since 1987 Mm -hmm. so my uh since i was in third grade Mm -hmm. um and so i always geeked out on technology um was a big audiophile um in high school um geeked out on technology and, and computers and whatnot and so um, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do digital signal processing. Yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to be able to work in with 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 um, with sound and audio. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I applied to a, a bunch of engineering schools. My folks actually, <laughs> my folks actually said like, I don't want you to become a doctor. Like you're not 
smart enough. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, you got to be pretty smart to be an engineer. No, no, no. If you saw my grades, okay, like you uh, were just good in math. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, then my and then my my folks were like, we don't want you to become a lawyer. There's like they found like ethical like uh, they 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 had an ethical issue with it. Okay, and then um, uh, so engineering was like honestly it was on my own volition. Um, I actually applied to six engineering schools and one I applied to NYU for film. Okay. Because I was also into film as well. Okay. Um, but uh, that didn't work out. And then it became boiled down to Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And I looked on US News and World Reports and I was like, yo, which is the better school? Yeah. Georgia Tech was the better school. And uh, and I went sight unseen. Like the idea of like go visiting, like visiting colleges mm-hmm. uh, was just lost on my parents. So I didn't visit Atlanta. I didn't know where it was. I showed up and, you know, luckily, like fortuitously, it, it happened to be in the middle of the city and not in the countryside somewhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think through my experience living in Atlanta, um, like it really taught me that I'm, I'm very much a city person. Right. I love the urban environment. I love um, the activity, the energy. I, I mean, I'm on this like on the scale of extroversion. Yeah. Like if it's a one to ten, I'm probably on like a twenty five uh 30 40 50 mm-hmm. um and so you know that energy and that um sort of that uh that liveliness yeah. of uh, of a city was uh amazing and i went to school there from 97 to 2002 and then stayed another year so six years total but that was like the height of southern hip-hop right about to say what was atlanta like at that time because Yo. you know it wasn't anything like it was now like it is now in regards to like entertainment and music so what was it like then? Because at that time, Southern music was still pretty pretty niche when it comes to just hip hop overall. For sure, you know. For sure, like I mean, at the time, um, at the time, like I mentioned, like my first hip hop show was with Goody Mob, right? So um, I knew that they were from Atlanta, so they were on the come up, obviously with the Dungeon Family and and then uh, Outcast, right? Like Outcast was the soundtrack of my my uh, my my years in high school, so. Um, to come down there and be in the city that they that that they were from was pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Usher was coming up, right, uh, and and uh, making a name for himself in uh, out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right around, I can't remember exactly what year. I'm sure we Wikipedia would tell us like what year So So Def was formed. Uh, but Jermaine Dupri and then you know Chris Love Love became Ludacris, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so all that was happening right then and there. Uh, you add to that things like you know especially around like African-American culture, like, like Freaknik. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like the height of Freaknik. Like I'd never seen anything like that where literally the entire city had every HBCU student rolling through the streets. Yeah. Not even rolling because there's so much traffic. Like I'd never seen people straight up get out of their car in the middle of like Peachtree, like the middle of like the busiest intersection in all of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even on the highway or exit ramps and like just get out and just like walk between just cars walk. and just kick it. <laughs> Um, it was a fascinating or like going to Lenox Mall and without exaggeration being shoulder to shoulder uh, with people. Uh, and I know a couple years later, like after, you know, I'd been there a few years, like at one point Lenox got shut down, like an entire mall. If you can imagine Tyson's Corner here, yeah. literally getting shut down because there's so many people. Uh, I mean, it was crazy in like the best possible way. Um, and then uh, at the time, uh, it, Atlanta had just become had earned this reputation of being like an epicenter of pop culture, and so I I was there for the years of NBA All Star, Super Bowl, uh, and the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like also the time when if you 
if you um, look into Scooter Braun, right? So Bieber's manager and yeah. Ariana Grande and all them. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at Scooter's history, this is when he was going to school as well. Okay. Uh, at Emory University. And he was promoting clubs with Dan Wiseman, who was Wale's manager mm-hmm. um, and now Capital City's managers. Um, but, you know, they were, <laughs> they were, they were promoting clubs um, and Scooter would just go to Velvet Lounge mm-hmm. um, and he'd be like the only white kid there mm-hmm. this white jewish kid from connecticut there um hanging out with uh jermaine dupree uh you know diddy was rolling in town ludicrous and he'd be buying bottles for these guys and just building a relationship with them lo and behold you know jermaine dupree is like yo we're starting up this so so deaf thing um and uh and brought him on board and that was you know the rest is history mm-hmm. first time i met scooter he was throwing ushers little brother's I think 18th birthday party, James's 18th birthday party. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then years later, only find out to come to, to find out that, uh, he went on to, to become really good friends with Usher and, and, uh, and, and, uh, discover Bieber. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the stories are crazy from, from, from that period of time in Atlanta for sure. Um, and then all the while I was supposed to be going to school too. Were um, you, were you going to class? I was, I was like, I was, I mean, del- I'm, sh- I'm sure you finished, of course you finished, I but did. were you going to class? Yeah, I was, I was, I was very were diligent. Just, were, were you just getting by, by the skin of your teeth? Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I think engineering is just an incredibly difficult discipline, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, and, uh, and, and for me, that's, I think that was my revelation is that I, I was studying, uh, and, and it was just really hard. Um, and, uh, and so I, I made it, I mean, I went to all my classes, went to all my classes, uh, and graduated miraculously. Um, but, uh, but you were surrounded by some legitimately brilliant people. So what, what, and when was your interest in marketing sparked? Yeah. So this happened in college too. So I, uh, I just remember walking down the middle of campus one day, uh, my junior year of school. So this would have been 2000. 2000 mm-hmm. uh or so and ran into my buddy jason rodwell um who i knew had a part-time job as a campus rep for red bull mm-hmm. and um he'd actually introduced me to red bull one spring break in in utah a year or two before that mm-hmm. um but like at the time red bull had just come to to the united states uh and had just come to atlanta maybe a year or two before that so okay. But I, I vaguely had a recollection that, hey, Red Bull's kind of cool. And, hey, it worked because we were going up on the slopes in Salt Lake City at 6 in the morning mm-hmm. uh, because he was a chairlift operator. And the only way we get a ride up is if we rode with him. Okay. And we were all, like, half asleep. <laughs> and so he gave us this can of stuff. And we were just like, oh, my God, it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even then, it, it wasn't a thing yet. Right, and, right. Uh, and so. Because um, I remember I remember seeing the uh, Red Bull commercials on MTV. Yeah. And. My recollection of Red Bull was only with the Schlitz malt liquor. So I was like, wait, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> is this the malt liquor? Are they like on some, you know, can rebrand? Like, I don't understand. It That's gives funny. you wings. Look, I haven't seen a lot of people drink Schlitz Red Bull beer. And they ain't get no wings or energy. They might have got some other type of energy, but it ain't in a good way. So I, I was really un- I was really confused for a long time. Like, what is Red Bull? And right. I guess the whole concept of an energy drink was very still so new. Maybe other people didn't were exist. Con- yeah, people didn't know what this was. They just saw these commercials. Yep, yep, yep. And and you know, there's a whole story behind that and why it was just commercials. The the whole thing was that it was uh, it was simply to build awareness and name a name recognition. 
So uh, Red Bull, uh, Utah oh, yeah. so chairlift, and Red Bull. You were introduced so, to it by your buddy who had a part-time job doing uh, college marketing. Yeah, okay. exactly. And so he was like, "Hey, Victor, like I have to find somebody to take my sh- like fill my shoes next year. Like you'd be perfect for this." Um, uh, and at the time, I was like, I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and but in my mind, I was like, "Oh well, you know what? I had this vague understanding that that Red Bull was something interesting and, and different." And then, um, uh, and then it was just a little bit of you know, um, extra spending cash. Mm-hmm. Um, not much. Right. Um, and so I applied and, and, uh, and got this job as a student brand manager that we call them SBMs. Right. So basically little marketing managers running around campus, mm-hmm. like they were the experts. Um, arguably you chose this SBM because they were super, they were well connected and, uh, and, and social and, and knew had a, a good sense of the pulse of the city, uh, of, of the, of the campus. Um, and so, um, and your responsibility was like, all right, you know, tell us what, what makes Georgia Tech tick, right? Uh, cause it's definitely going to be different than say, um, than say University of Colorado Boulder, right? Mm-hmm. Cause at Boulder, it's all going to be about snowboarding, outdoor stuff, skiing and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which Red Bull dabbles in at, at Georgia Tech. It was all about, uh, the engineer staying up late night. It was about, um, it was about, uh, B-boys, right? Mm-hmm. Cause there was a, a, a small B-boy community there, right? It was about, um, all these other more culturally oriented things. Um, and so, so, and then you, you, you brought that to, you brought that, uh, to your, to the marketing teams and they'd be like, all right, well, let's think of a way to, to, to support those scenes. So at this point, did you even really know what marketing was when you got a Red Bull? <laughs> no, I had absolutely no clue. I had no understanding. I mean, I was studying engineering okay. and, um, you know, I come from a artistic background and creative background and, um, and I would say like, you know, honestly, like I wish, uh, my folks are all, my, 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 my mom and my grandparents are all artists, but it was always a, a hobby mm-hmm. and never, never in a million years did anybody tell me that my creative sensibilities or my artistic sensibilities had anything to do with commerce or business mm-hmm. or anything at all. Um, again, most, very, most people don't equate the two. Yeah. No, very pragmatic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I even think about like Georgia Tech had this incredible industrial design um, program, mm-hmm. right. As well as architecture. Um, and, uh, I had multiple friends in industrial design. Um, but I never in the five years I went to school, it took me five years. Uh, the five years I was going to school there never occurred to me to ask what industrial design was. Now I'm like, yo, what the fuck? Like I should have, I could have been an industrial designer. Yeah. Industrial right? designer, architect, something. I could have designed the iPhone. <laughs> like, you know, like Johnny Ive could have been out of business. Now, you know, but like, but um, I just knew that they spent a lot of time in the studio, yeah. right? Um, but only later after college did I find out what industrial design was and what they actually work on. And I was just like, oh, I missed that opportunity entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to get back to your question, I was just like, yeah, I didn't know what marketing was. And then I, uh, we had a kickoff meeting in Florida uh, at Orlando. And that was like your first business trip. It was amazing, right? All expense paid trip to Florida, uh, Orlando with, you know, dozens of other cool college kids that were also st- hired as student brand managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they literally just indoctrinated us in the world of Red Bull, showed us what Red Bull was, the, what the product was, and then, and then told us how we build relationships and help people help, uh, you know, connect Red Bull with those people. Mm-hmm. Um, Red Bull's mission is to, to not many people know this, but like Red Bull's mission is to give people and ideas wings. Right. Uh, and it's the idea of just like, Hey, whatever it is that you want to do within your community or as you as a person, like Red Bull can bring those help you bring those things to fruition yeah you know and so if the you know if the if the video game club at georgia tech wanted to do an all-nighter like all night 
uh, gaming competition, well, then Red Bull can actually bring those things to fruition. Mm. Oh, and by the way, like we have a relationship with the best Halo players in the world, mm. right? Why don't we bring them in to host it, mm. right? Um, or from a snowboarding perspective, like, you know, if, if I'm in at University of Colorado Boulder, you got, uh, you know, you have all these athletes, these snowboarding athletes and all these snowboarding films. Like, why don't you do a premiere, right? Mm. Um, and so that, that gave me my introduction to marketing. Mm. Um, and I realized I graduated in 2002. So right around when the bubble burst. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so the tech bubble he's talking about. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Bubble number one. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there were no engineering jobs. Mm. There are no engineering jobs anywhere. There's no consulting jobs. And I came into school where like, no matter how dumb you were and how, how bad your grades were, like you would get a $60,000 a year job at like a top five consulting company at the very least yeah. because it just weren't enough. Right, right. Right. There weren't enough people for jobs. And then fast forward five years and it was complete opposite. Um, and I realized though that, you know, this marketing stuff, like it's flexing this creative muscle that's been sort of dormant for the past five years. Right. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's social, it's dynamic. It's, it's interesting. It, it, I, I'm out and about. Um, and I was like, man, I'd, I'd do this shit for free. Mm-hmm. That was a revelation I had. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, Jerome, you've, you've heard me probably tell this, you say this many times over the years is just like, you know, follow your, follow your passion and you don't work a day in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I realized was like, you know what? Like, man, I do this for free. Yeah. I mean, I was practically doing it for free to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, what they were paying was not much, but, um, uh, but yeah. And that's, that's kind of what, uh, put me on to marketing. And so from there you went to work for some very very well-known companies yeah. and even going back to red bull because when i met you you were um you were the uh i don't know your exact title when you were red bull when i met you yeah field marketing manager field yeah. marketing manager in dc um back in what like oh nine i met you uh-huh. you know what i mean but like you worked for coke cartier uh, uh audi nike yeah um <laughs> you only had like what one agency job uh, one agency job, 72 okay. and Sunny, okay. uh, out of LA. Okay. Yeah. And just working for all those different, those different companies, um, what were, what were some of the, what were some of the differences you saw just in terms of culture? Um, cause those are all mm. like pretty well-known companies. Some of them are, you know, multinational, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Like, you know. I, I I tell people this because I always preface it was like I, I was spoiled, right? Like if my first introduction to the corporate world was Red Bull, mm-hmm. like you can't expect her to capture that. You can't expect to capture that sort of uh, culture and uh, um, and philosophy in many places. Like I mean, Red Bull is one of the most exciting and most innovative brands in the world for a reason, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, and it's interesting. So I, I like to say that, you know, Red Bull taught me everything outside the box, mm-hmm. right? Uh, quite literally, everything, all the traditional stuff that, that most companies did, Red Bull threw us by the wayside, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, and so that's that was my introduction to marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went to Coca-Cola, right? Literally across the street yeah. um, in a very traditional marketing capacity. I was working with um, airlines, hotels, resorts, uh, managing their their Coca Cola accounts, as you can imagine, like uh, you know, uh, Marriott hotels uh, has a lot mm-hmm. of product, uh, yeah. you know, soda, right? <laughs> um, and so, um, 
And that taught me everything inside the box. So mm-hmm. now it's like you have a more complete picture of, more complete picture of, um, of, uh, of, of marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've always said, it's like, you gotta, you gotta know where people are zigging so that you can zag, but then you have to understand like, Hey, sometimes the traditional stuff works too. You can't be, you can't be weird and zany and different for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, and so, you know, in Coca-Cola, you know, for the longest time has been the most valuable brand on the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a reason, right? They, they, uh, and it, it's because they've, they've, they've perfected traditional marketing, mm-hmm. right? And they push and, and innovate where they, they want to. Um, and so I was really, I think I was really blessed and, and very fortunate to have a chance to work at, at the, the, those two companies. Um, and then, uh, and then I want to learn the sales side of things. So I went to Cartier where I was overseeing wholesale for the mid Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, one realized really quickly I'm terrible at sales. Okay. Um, because I just don't like pressuring people. Um, and, uh, and why I like marketing because it's the soft sell, right? You put the idea out there and if you've done a good job of positioning it correctly, like people will gravitate towards your product or your brand or whatever the case may be. I can, I can, I can definitely relate there. Like I, I've, I've done, I've had a couple of like full on sales positions, yeah. like commissioned everything. And some were a little easier than others, and but it's still just like I don't really want to do this because you're on my neck, and we're in the middle of a freaking recession, and I'm not hitting the nobody's hitting numbers, right? You know, but like marketing, like I can just communicate to you why this brand makes sense for this demographic, or like why just in a specific moment in time, in a exactly. specific place, and mm-hmm. within a specific cultural context. Yeah, and 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 that's the fun of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then culturally, like I mean, I went from. I went from uh, I went from the most casual of environments at Red Bull in college, no less, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go to a, uh, a Coca Cola, which is like a business casual and a little bit more traditional, but still like very inventive and fun and creative. And then yeah. you go to Cartier, which was like I was suited and booted twenty four seven and working for a French luxury brand, um, which you know carries its own sort of arrogance mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, um, and it just I just learned really quickly that's just not my personality, right? Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, it so happened that I was uh, asked to come back to Red Bull mm-hmm. in a full time capacity, now overseeing um, collegiate marketing for Red Bull. Okay. Uh, so the very program that I was took part in, I was now overseeing, um, and then that I immediately like felt at home, mm-hmm. right? Um, because uh, I could be, I could truly be myself. Um, and I remember I, I was up in Seattle and on a whim. I was with my buddy Jay. We were in Capitol Hill um, uh, at this barber shop uh, that was also like at the same time. Uh, these these dudes, Marcus and uh, and and uh, Jonathan, had opened up this barber shop that also doubled as a hip hop museum. Mm-hmm. So they had a bunch of old fat boy stuff in there, and like just incredible. It was amazing. But any, uh, I digress. He uh, ended up getting a, just like a mohawk, like on a whim. Yeah, and yeah. came back to work the next day, uh, and the vice president of marketing stopped dead in his tracks. He goes, Whoa, cool hair. <laughs> and I knew, I knew I was like, okay, these are my people. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, they didn't give you that, that, that's that, that no. evil eye. Like, uh, had I done that, at, had I done that at Cartier, like I would have been fired on this. <laughs> no question. Uh, at Cartier, I mean, I'll just give you from a, from a cultural standpoint, uh, we were having a meeting in Hermosa beach, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, naturally in LA, it's sunny. Right. right? And so I, um, uh, I was wearing sunglasses and I introduced myself to the head of 
something or another in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my boss pulls me aside and he's like, hey, why didn't you take your sunglasses off when you shook his hand? I was like, uh, because it's sunny. It's <laughs> L.A. Like, why are you tripping? Wow. So it was and, it was that stuffy. Yeah, it was that stuffy. Okay. Um, but that's their thing, right? Yeah. Like, that's who they are. Um, and it takes going through those experiences to know who you are and who you aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so quickly I learned, quickly I learned I, I, I'm not a salesman. Mm-hmm. I'm not a salesman. And um, and uh, I probably wasn't meant to be in a... Uh, um, a stuffy brand like that. Right. So, um, yeah. And then you, so, you know, Red Bull obviously was, was a lot of fun five years there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then I went on to 72 and sunny, which agency, if anybody's ever worked in an advertising agency, you know that there are no rules when it comes to like, um, uh, dress and whatnot. And then culturally, um, you know, that's, it's probably one of the funnest places you could ever work. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you have, if you ever watch that Portlandia episode, uh, where they go visit somebody at White and Kennedy and they're trying to get to a meeting, but it takes 20 minutes to get to the meeting upstairs because uh, there's a birthday party and then people are playing ping pong. And then uh, there's a, a, like, and there's all these distractions. Uh, and all it's very that. much that way. But all oh. that is part of the beauty of the creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, the creative process is not linear, right? It's uh, you take breaks, you come back into it, you, it gets messy, you try 52 things. There's a really great article um, uh, that just came out last week about, uh, talking about the 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 trials and tribulations of uh the guys that um that created the the mac versus pc campaign mm-hmm. right um and people one don't of, know one of, one of the best ad campaigns of of what the the, the 21st century yeah. thus far thus exactly far. yeah and um so i later worked on at, at 72 and sunny i later worked on uh with uh, barton corley who was one of the creative directors on, or at the time i think he was the writer on, on that campaign, he told me, he's like, yeah, we went through like round after round after round and Steve Jobs just killed everything. And me and my, my he's, he and his partner were sitting outside um, at Media Arts Lab in, in, in LA and smoking cigarettes and they're just like, man, all right, I'm a PC and I walk into a room and the other guy goes, I'm a Mac, and I walk into the room. Mm-hmm. And that's how that shit started. <laughs> right? There wasn't, there wasn't a, there, there wasn't a, a method. There yeah. wasn't a process. Mm-hmm. It was them sitting and smoking cigarettes um, and, uh, and shooting the shit. Yeah. Um, and so that's like, you in, in the creative field, mm-hmm. like you need that sort of, latitude and flexibility mm-hmm. um and patience sometimes okay um to be able to deliver some of those best ideas mm-hmm. right um and it was a very simple it wasn't like complex or anything the commercial itself none of the commercials were very complex it was just very very simple no, very minimal yeah right? very apple mm-hmm. very very apple um and then from 72 and sunny um which taught me agency life, which was awesome. Um, a lot of startups have taken on the 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 same, you know, um, um, culture as 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 agencies. You know, with like, like I remember when I worked at Warby Parker. Yeah. You go into headquarters, and it was just like that. You know, you could easily see people playing foosball yeah. in the middle of the day. Like it's like one p.m. Yep. Um, everybody's running around. Like after work, you know people from the stores would go to headquarters and everybody's just hanging out um um playing like flip cup or something like that 
<laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, company culture is incredibly important. So after 72 and Sunday, I was at Nike. And one of the initiatives that we had at Nike, like, I mean, you think about Nike, right? Nike as a marketer, it's the holy grail, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, everybody, well, before I say that, right, it's like f- marketers, Nike's always on a short list of companies that every marketer would like to work for, mm-hmm. right? Um, or at least historically was, right? Yeah. And so we're faced with a new generation of people and creative people and creatively minded people um, that require a lot more, a lot like different, they have different needs, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's a initiative at Nike called Workforce 2020 that was figuring out like, how do we prepare our company and our people and our processes and our programs to keep and retain, attract and retain um, a new generation uh, of of uh, of employees, right? Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing: is like you know, kids that are coming out of school right now, right? Uh, they want to go. They're hearing about their friends that go work for Facebook and Google and Twitter, mm-hmm. who pay for all their meals, have these incredible office spaces. I mean, if you saw Airbnb's office, like you would die, right? Um, and uh, and and they have all these accoutrements and 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 um, uh, amenities that that make you want to work and work harder, mm-hmm. right? Um, they have 20% flex time and they have really generous um, uh, stock options, right? So financially you feel like you're set, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and company culture is like really, in, really impeccable at those places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and so when, you know, I remember uh, interviewing people that from, from Google mm-hmm. at Nike, right? Um, and, people would neg- try to neg- negotiate a few thousand extra dollars in their salary because we didn't pay for their meals, right? Uh, and we don't have stock options, or at least in, in certain roles, like, right? Okay. Um, you weren't granted equity or stock. Mm-hmm. And so um, so it was really actually difficult to pull those people in. And then when you got there, of course, like if you've seen pictures of the Nike campus, it's gorgeous, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like there's two gyms, there's two soccer fields, there's a, a track around the uh, around the campus. I'm sure, it, I'm sure it rivals like Cupertino. You yeah. know, Apple and Cooper team. I'm sure yeah. it rivals their campus. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's stunning, right? But then you go inside and it's, it's a bunch of beige walls and cubicle farms, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, at Google and Twitter, there's beanbags and there's these sleep pods and there's all these things that, that provide creature comforts for you to maximize your your productivity and your your creativity. Um, and, uh, and it isn't relegated to, you know, nine to five. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you can come in in the evenings and work because it's quiet or, you know, and, and so um, so that culture, uh, like, you know, even a company like Nike, right, uh, who is rested on its laurels for being just Nike mm-hmm. right now has to really think hard about how they evolve their company culture to attract these people. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, uh, and I say it, it's like, you know, I come uh, I I was spoiled. Right. I had a. Uh, so like at Nike, I, I joked all the time, like we go on offsites and, you know, the activity for uh, an offsite or, a, uh, you know, a conference somewhere that we were having was like, you know, 7 a.m. yoga or, you know, 4 p.m. run. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic. And, and you know, you know, obviously every like almost everybody at, at Nike is like deeply passionate about sports. Mm-hmm. I was always passionate about the sneakers and the culture mm-hmm. um, and became, you know, um, much more passionate about but sports, but still like. And, you know, you know, I'd come across people all the time that would say like, you know, it's like, oh man, it's, we're so lucky that we get to work for a company that, that lets us go for a run in the middle of the day. Right. 
Um, and, you know, and, and also we had classes at gyms all the time. So you go to yoga during lunch or, at, you know, if you had a break between meetings, you can go to yoga or Zumba or, you know, do a Nike training club class in the middle of the day. No mm-hmm. problem. Right. Um, and I, I kind of chuckled this to myself and it's a little bit arrogant. Right. But it's like, it, I was like, guys, do you like, well, at Red Bull, I jumped out of airplanes and rode dirt bikes and learned how to b-boy and learn how to spray paint graffiti. Yeah. Right. That's. That's what I did. Yeah. Right. And so going for a run sounds miserable to me. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're just getting fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. And, and free honestly, time means I'm, getting fit. <laughs> I was better. Hey, I was better for it. I'll admit. I'll admit. But yeah, not, 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 never going to knock, you know, fitness. You know, that's, that's very important. Yeah. yeah for sure. Um, but that's sort of like the, the contrast, but that's what you're competing against. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so after Nike, I went to Audi and Audi ended up in a suit again. Yeah. Right. Um, and I got over that. But at the same time, like, you know, suits are, like suits to me are the 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 absolute worst um, part of like certain company cultures. And right? when I when I bumped into you, because I I'd, so, I'd seen you um, over, I think it was H Street Day. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it wasn't H Street Day. It was uh, it was when you had just gotten back. Yeah. Um, from Oregon. Yeah. And um, you had told me like, oh, yeah, I'm working for Audi. And I was just like, OK. And I'm thinking, I'm like, <laughs> Victor's wearing a suit. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, whatever. You know, <laughs> maybe it's what he wants to do. You yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's this there's this whole thing about like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what our customers wear. I'm like, no, no, they don't. Like Phil Knight, Phil Knight at Nike drove an R8, mm-hmm. right? Drove an R8, but showed up in, a, in jeans, Nikes, and a black T-shirt every day to work. Mm-hmm. Right? And maybe a blazer yeah. and sunglasses. Right, Mark Parker, same thing, right? Has drives used to drive an all road, right? He's a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. Doesn't wear a suit, right? Uh, and now you have these billionaire uh, consumer, um, you know, tech startup guys. They don't wear suits, right? Right. Um, and I know it carries it, it carries over from the German culture of like professionalism and 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 whatnot. But um, I fundamentally don't think you can be yourself when when you're you're in a suit and yeah of course some people feel very comfortable in a suit i mean i i would say i feel comfortable in a suit um but but that's, that's not just the, that's, one that's distraction. not the sum of your entire style and, and, yeah. and personality exactly um and and i always laughed because i remember i got there and again this is all relative stuff right it's just like i remember everybody was like hey victor hey, and guess what on on fridays we have casual fridays you can wear jeans mm-hmm. and i was like what <laughs> Uh, I was like, what? So not only is that funny because like I used to show up to work in sneakers, jeans, and t-shirts all day long. Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, but it was funny because what's different about Friday than Monday through Thursday? I don't meet with fewer clients. I don't meet with um, I don't I don't I don't not meet with uh, senior leadership mm-hmm. on Friday. Mm-hmm. So by you telling me that I can wear jeans and go casual on Friday. Like you're basically invalidating the entire construct of Monday through Friday, Monday through Thursday suits, uh, and so that's the I found that incredibly hypocritical and, and illogical, and and I, I like it. It's a small thing, but it's a small thing that's lost on people that have never experienced it otherwise. Absolutely, because most people right. they look forward to a casual Friday because I guess that's what sub- they're accustomed to. Subconsciously, that's that's the start of the weekend for them, and they're just like. But still, you know, they get like this is like a, a, a this is a treat, 
for us because they could yeah. take this away from us and we could just wear the same business casual or business attire five days a week instead of just right. the four. And we had, and you know, the in the building that we had was is the entire Volkswagen group. So Volkswagen, uh, Volkswagen, Audi, Lamborghini, Bentley, and Bugatti were all in the same building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Volkswagen was business casual. And I get it. They're not a premium brand. But really, like, does that really, does that really change your perception of somebody? Um, because they don't have a suit and tie on. Right. Right. I'd rather judge a man by his character than what he's wearing. Right. Uh, and his intelligence and his contributions. Mm-hmm. Right. My favorite thing, like my favorite thing was like, my favorite thing was, is like actually coming into a meeting with senior leadership, wearing jeans and a t-shirt and blowing minds. Yeah. Right. Fucking up the curve. <laughs> right. I remember in college, remember the first time I heard sort of heard that expression, uh, was in college and there's this kid named Jake, right. Electrical engineering student as well. Had giant plugs in his ear, blonde hair, total California kid, wore Jenkos when Jenkos were sort of acceptable, total raver kid, right? But the dude was so smart. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yo, my favorite thing to do is just walk into a class and just fuck up the curve, right? Because no teacher there, guaranteed, thought that that, that, that that Jake was a contributor, like was going to be the top of his class. Mm-hmm. But you know what? He was. Zach Morris aced the SAT on Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, and and how prescient was that? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. you with you with, you with Audi, and then I find out that you left Audi very I recently. I when I saw you um over at Ubic, yeah. I was just like you left. I did. I'm just like you're just making you're just always moving. <laughs> I thought I moved around a lot, but you're always moving. Every time I saw, every time I would see you, you were doing something different. You were telling me like. Yeah, I'm doing my own thing now. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, I, yeah, I left about six months ago, back in May. Um, and, you know, as much as I love the, I love cars, I love the auto industry. Um, the, uh, I had it, I drove an Audi before I worked at Audi. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love the brand, um, my, my role there was to uh, innovate the experience, right? So take a look at the entire customer experience, tip to tail of like, you know, looking for a car, you know, going the retail, in-store retail experience, mm-hmm. negotiating it, financing it, um, and servicing the car and, and taking a look at different ways to innovate that experience to make it better mm-hmm. uh, and make it more and, and differentiate the brand because the difference between, I say it all the time, right? This is the example I, 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 I give to explain to people, even within the walls of Audi, like why my role existed was that, when we were all younger, we we stepped into a, a car, and if it had leather seats, that was the mark of a luxury car, right? Or wood grain dash, or maybe years later it was like in dash navigation, because you're like, yo, you knew somebody paid two thousand extra dollars for in dash navigation, like yeah. that was that was a big deal when it that was fir- a big when, deal. when it first when that feature first hit, that was a big deal, right? And uh, but now there's Hyundai's that look like S class Mercedes, yes, and f- for the average person, drives like an S class Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Every Uber I get into has has leather, wood grain dash, and in dash navigation. Yep. And I get into Honda Civics now. Honda Civics right, is a twenty thousand dollar car that has semi autonomous driving features, and has a rear facing camera on the side view mirror for your blind spot. Right. Audi doesn't even have that. Audi has other bells and whistles, mm-hmm. but Audi doesn't. So now the difference between a luxury car and a mainstream car, and the difference between other luxury cars. Is so minimal, mm-hmm. right? If you've seen that Chevy commercial, I love showing that Chevy commercial of just like these people get in these cars. I don't know who these people are, but like, like I was because I could tell the difference in a heartbeat. But like, apparently they obscured the logo, and they're like, "Oh, what kind of car do you think this is?" Oh man, it's like a it's like a brand new Audi. Mm-hmm. 
oh, it's like a, oh, it's like a Range Rover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this one looks like exactly like this Mercedes I have. Right. And lo and behold, it's the Chevy. Right. And right? Like, oh, it's the new Impala. It's, so <laughs> it's now, the new Malibu. It's like, really? Right. It's a Malibu? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yo, I mean, the, the shit's nice. Like it is a totally adequate car mm-hmm. and then some. Right. And so now the only way that brands can truly differentiate themselves is through the customer experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I can buy I can buy a portable hard drive off of Amazon, but I choose to go to Apple because of the experience. Right. Right. And I trust Apple that the guy at the Apple store is going to help guide me to the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are the things that that set brands apart. So that was my role. Right. Um, and coming from a place like Red Bull and Nike, where innovation is like literally st- steeped in their blood mm-hmm. right it's just steeped in innovation right it's 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 just a natural beat part of their dna um you know and i expected the auto industry was is facing a lot of challenges right now and it's incredibly complicated if i told you even half the things i learned there it's just like it would blow your mind um how the how the industry even functions now right um but it's evolving really quickly and it has this massive existential threat and i'd say it's the greatest disruption our generation will see Right, it's already here. Mm-hmm. Right, I can buy a car from Tesla in thirty minutes online, not negotiate a price, um, and it comes to me exactly how I ordered it mm-hmm. uh, four weeks later. Yeah. Right. Oh, and by the way, it's the most technologically superior car on the road, and it uh, is the safest car on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, that's what they're up against yeah. now. Imagine, like, think about Uber. Right, when Uber has semi-autonomous cars, like, why would you, why would you ever own a car? Right. Right. And so. There's a lot of existential threats, and and my perspective was that you got to swing for the fences, mm-hmm. right? You got to really swing for the fences. Like when you get back to the corner, right, in a fight, you want to land that haymaker punch. Mm-hmm. You don't want to keep on doing what you're doing. You want to swing for the fences, land that haymaker punch, and get out of the corner, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've realized that you know what what the the company was willing and was willing to do was you know hit a bunch of singles when. We like you guys. We need to hit home runs and triples mm-hmm. all day long. Yeah, um, and uh, you know we all wanted the same thing. We wanted to do what was right for the customer, create a, a seamless crafted experience for them. Um, but it just wasn't the right time. Um, and I just realized it's like you know what it'll take it'll take another five ten years for them to get it. Uh, and I just wasn't willing to I wasn't willing to spend the next five ten years to do that. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, I had a bunch of. Um, um, and and I just realized I was beginning to compromise who I was as a as a creative and as a um, as a person that was an expert in innovation, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was beginning to compromise what I do, right? And and uh, in addition to compromising who I was wearing a suit all day long, and I was just like, you know what, this is just no longer feels good. Um, and so um, so I had to make a decision, and uh, and I had a couple business ideas in the back of my head that I was like, you know what, I'm going to give myself back sixty hours a week. And I'm going to see what I can do with that. Uh, and so now these days I'm, you know, half of my time is spent uh, doing freelancing just because I need to pay my mortgage. But mm-hmm. then, uh, and then the other time is pursuing um, uh, this idea of a, a creative incubator for Washington, D.C., um, okay. specifically around visual arts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is there a name for it yet? Uh, there is, um, but I'm not going to share that at the moment. Don't want to jinx it. All good. All good. Um, but the, the, con- uh, the concept is, is, it speaks for itself. So we'll wait for the name. Yeah. We'll wait for the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, with that said, um, this brings me into my next question for you. So um, mm-hmm. marketing in the age of social media, you know, um, a lot of people are like, oh, I do marketing, branding, whatever. But how many of those people 
in your observation, actually know what that entails or what that means? <laughs> well, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, if I think back to when I was first starting out in marketing, right? Mm-hmm. I barely had an understanding of what that really meant, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and and so I think there's a there's a couple of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Is is uh, I don't think I don't think people fully understand what goes into making a brand, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in creating a brand, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of deep rooted insights that need to be uncovered before you can really shape a brand, mm-hmm. right? Um, just think about like I, I bring up this I bring up this um, this example frequently, right? This is like you know for a really well known brand that has like really sharp POV, like you know you you get Nike, you get Under Armour, you get those really sharp brands, right? Mm-hmm. But when somebody hands you a brief and you're on the agency side and um, that's Old Spice, for example, mm-hmm. right? I was just to say like my greatest fear at an agency was like getting uh, getting a toilet paper brand. <laughs> okay. right? It's like how do you how do you differentiate a toilet paper brand? Which one's the softest? Which one's, Which the, one's the most absorbent? Right. <laughs> and so and so when people talk about branding and, and, and marketing, mm-hmm. um, it's it's usually a very shallow understanding of it, right? It's mm. it's like it's uh the extent of which I run into a lot is like simply it's just like uh putting it in front of people. Yeah. Right. Um and it's and rarely ever do people consider the positioning of it. Right? Um because everything needs to fit within a context. Right? Uh and it needs to fit in terms of timing and location. Right. Where where are you presenting it to them? Mm-hmm. Right. Because we talk about it at, at Nike. I mean, uh, at Red Bull all the time was that um, what most people don't know at Red Bull is just like the the mobile energy team at the time. It was called now they're called the wings team. The girls that that drive the cars around. Yeah. Right. Unlike most brands that would literally just go to a mall or like a, just a highly trafficked area and just stand there and hand it out, hand out samples. Mm-hmm. Red Bull always. Red Bull always uh, took the time to understand like what's going on with you right now, mm-hmm. right? To qualify you, whether you had a, whether you should have a Red Bull or not, right? Because basically if you didn't have a headache and I gave you an aspirin, like you'd be like, I didn't do anything. Right. Right. Same thing with Red Bull, right? Red Bull is like, if you just had your morning coffee or you had a good night's sleep, right? Red Bull's not going to do much for you, right? Um, but if you just pulled an all-nighter, mm-hmm. right? Studying and cramming for a final and I put a Red Bull in front of you. Mm-hmm. Right. I used to go, my favorite thing to do in college was like to like go in the library and find the kid that was sleeping. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'd leave a Red Bull for him or her. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and they'd wake up and they'd be like, Oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> right. Um, and we did it all the time like that. But like, yeah. so same thing as like understanding the context to be able to position the message is mm-hmm. key. Right. Old spice, like old spice is another thing is like, what do you know about old spice? It's the old, uh, you know, aftershave brand. Right. If you don't use body, if you don't happen to use body wash, like you don't even know. Right. And so, you know, imagine the amount of work that had to go into digging into those insights, learning about the brand, learning about the product, learning about the the people, like who's the actual audience, mm-hmm. right? Who's the actual audience to be able to position that message correctly at, at, at Audi. One of those things that we, we, one of the things that I, I had lots of conversations about was like, who was our consumer? 
I'd always get this, you know, loosey goosey answer about like, you know, well, you know, um, Audi consumer is like 55 years old. They're the youngest of all the luxury brands and, uh, they make, you know, a household income of, uh, you know, uh, $350,000, $400,000 a year. Mm. Right. Um, that's where I, mean. I was like, no, that's who buys our car, but who's our target consumer. Right. Like if you could have a single person, a, a million of a single person buy the car because that person captures your brand like perfectly. Right. Who is that? I never got an answer on that. To me, it would be a uh, a young, mid-20s, maybe late-20s, um, Silicon Valley tech startup mm-hmm. uh, founder, right? That has design sen- sensibilities and appreciates the technological innovation. And so basically what you're saying is most people who casually say that they do marketing or branding probably aren't even asking themselves the demographic, like who's my target demo yeah. question yeah you know and so i think i mean and i think they get there right because obviously like you know if if, if a brand comes to washington dc right like and they're reaching out to marketers here in dc right like you know depending on who the, that that person's audience is it might be young urban youth mm-hmm. right so generally speaking it's a ballpark mm-hmm. right but then really thinking about understanding what the psyche of that consumer is mm-hmm. like what else are they being bombarded with right what's going what else is going on in their life yeah right like you know, are they worried about the election? Mm-hmm. Are they worried about the election? Are they worried about, um, uh, are they worried about, um, uh, yeah, are they worried about, um, uh, you know, their friends and neighbors because there was like a recent, tra- like, like, w- like what, what's going on in those people's lives right mm-hmm. now? Um, so that you can find that white space to be able to put the message in, right? Yeah. What I find most in, in most instances everywhere I've gone is just like, you know, people equate marketing to promotion. Right. Yes. And yes. promotion, quite frankly, is promotion is just telling somebody about something over and over and over again. Yes. Right. Yes. And repetition. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's not it. Like you have to carefully craft a message. Mm-hmm. Right. That's going to resonate with people. Yes. Right. Um, because you could say put the same old flyer like promotion. If you just take it in the very crude form of putting flyers on windows. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, putting flyers on windows like like that's 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 not marketing. Right. Right. Whereas if you were to think about like, if you think about like taking a look at an email list, right. And mm-hmm. seeing who, like if you were promoting for, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Diplo mm-hmm. coming to, to DC, right. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you look at an email list of ticket sales or why don't you look at ticket sales for major laser, mm-hmm. right. And, uh, and other like, um, uh, like purchases, right. And then craft a message, right. That speaks to Diplo coming, Right. Versus like, hey, I'm gonna give a flyer to everybody, right? On every single car. Okay. Right. Yes, that raises awareness. That's because that's absolutely an important part of 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 marketing is raising awareness, right? Um, but but you have to provide them in the right context for them to to actually convert them, to actually get them to go online, buy a ticket, and or or you know go to a store and buy your product. Okay. And is that why you think maybe companies reach out to? Um influencers in, in specific markets, um, influential groups, influential individuals to do that work um, because they see that they have these these demographics of people that they want to reach. That they, These particular influencers, um, and I actually want to get into influencer marketing after this, um, they have that, those target demographics that they want to reach. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely, because at the end of the day, like, 
you know, influencers exist because it, it, it's always going to sound better coming from somebody that you respect mm-hmm. versus a brand. Right. Right. You may respect the brand. Right. But I, you, you probably respect, um, certain influencers and, and your friends more than anything else. Right. That's why Red Bull was so successful because it was just this grassroots marketing, right. Of just like literally here, I gave you this great experience with Red Bull. Right. I saved the day. I mm-hmm. saved you final, your finals. Right. And, and so, you know what, like next time I see you yawn, I'm going to be like, Hey man, have you tried Red Bull? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is going to be m- much more impactful than, um, much more impactful than, than, than a commercial. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, you know, brands are reaching out to influencers because they realize that they have a much, um, uh, a much higher share of mind and, uh, a, a much more credible, uh, voice. Yeah. Um, than, uh, than, than the brand itself. Right, right. And right. see, I like influencer marketing. That's like the, the, the faction of marketing that I, that I enjoy most. And um, mostly because, you know, I kind of like to see who brands think are influential. And um, I myself, it challenges me to really look and see, like, who's influential. Like, I... I um, I even I even bill all the fly kids as an influencer marketing brand because I'm always looking to talk to people and meet people and introduce others to people who I consider to be influential within their own regards. Um, a lot of people hate the term influencer now, and I think for me, just the the category of influencer marketing being a well known term is just getting started. So um, even in DC, just seeing more quote unquote influencer events happening with like. Um, companies coming in doing these um these lifestyle events things of that nature like I, I I love to see that but like I said I love influencer marketing so for me it's just like whatever influencer this influencer that I don't care <laughs> keep using the name man yeah no so I mean especially in the the age of social media right now it's like I think influencer marketing um influencer marketing uh, it becomes synonymous with uh, having a large social media following mm-hmm um and uh and again that only gets you so far right, right. it gives you in terms of awareness mm-hmm. and and hey it works there's yeah. no question about it like you get you get you know you get you know kim kardashian to tweet something or instagram something like yeah you're just gonna get a natural lift off of that just simply because uh it was top of mind and and relatively in the right context right mm-hmm. um but there's so much more to influencer marketing, right? It is investing in the community that those influencers are influencers of, right? Um, I, I, I say this all, like I bring this story. It's so, it's, so, it's so interesting to come back years later after having worked for Red Bull here in Washington, D.C. It was that um, I remember because at the time when we were doing stuff, right, Sion was like hard, like full court press in Washington, D.C. I remember sponsoring everything yes cutting checks left and right oh, and everybody's like events. yo that's sign money <laughs> right yo that vitamin water money yep vitamin water i remember the vitamin water right? events and i said guys watch right 10 years from now red bull will still be supporting the things that it supports today mm-hmm. right but i promise you Scion won't be mm-hmm. and neither will vitamin water right and if you think about like things like in music right the red bull music academy red mm-hmm. bull music academy is 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 a it's been a fifteen year commitment, if not more. I can't remember exactly how many years it's been. Mm-hmm. Right, no other brand has come close to contributing to the music community as much as 
Red Bull has in the Red Bull Music Academy. Right, right. Not to mention the bazillion other programs that they have when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. Red Bull Sound Select is a massive initiative around the world right now to mm-hmm. give emerging artists a platform, right? Um, and so those are the ones like, and you know what? It's not profitable. Or it's not, it's not immediately profitable. Mm-hmm. The ROI and where most brands fail to see is like, is they're, they're, they're going for short-term results mm-hmm. without thinking about the long-term implications, right? Um, and so, yeah, you know what feels good to be able to say that you hung a banner at a, at a, at a, at a hip hop show, uh, and you know, and, uh, and you pass out a bunch of samples of whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. right. Or you got people to look at your car, right. But does that really build long-term equity, right? We're Scion now out of business. <laughs> They're closing shop. Yeah. Scion's going away. Right. Vitamin water. When was the last time you saw vitamin water do anything here? Right. It's the last time they did something here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but Red Bull is still one of those brands that stays around. And so, um, uh, and, and what they've done is like they've invested in those communities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, longer term. And so, yeah, you know what? It isn't about just a tweet or a post, right? It's also about getting those people to become long-term advocates of your brand. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, you know, great story. Like here's a great, great example, right? Um so I was at in down in Miami at Basel the other day, mm-hmm. uh, last week, and um, I roll up, um, I roll up with my buddy who used to work for Red Bull. Also, we roll up to this party, um, this party, and guess who gets out of the car? Uh, guess who gets out of the car and uh, and comes into the party with other Red Bull people? Dave Nada, right? Who I struck up a relationship with ten years ago now, right? Right? Um, and and Dave threw like you know spun one of the illest parties. I've ever been to at motocross of nations, um, in like deep Creek, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that shit was so lit, um, before the word lit existed. Um, Dave Nada being a DC area native, yeah. uh, inventor of Moombatone. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> For those who don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and now you have Dave Nada and then Dave is still doing stuff with Red Bull mm-hmm. all these years later in Miami of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like another just great example of like the long-term investment in long-term investment in, um, in, uh, in, in these communities, in these scenes. Um, and to me, that's really a much more holistic way of approaching influencer marketing than just shipping people a bunch of stuff to post. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, another perfect segue to, to my next question. Um, when I last saw you, we briefly started speaking on um creative currency and dc's creative mm. economy but i told you like hold that because i want to interview you <laughs> so, <laughs> so now you know you can elaborate on, on on that point oh yeah so you know dc is such a conservative and pragmatic town mm-hmm. right that um that cultural currency is not a priority for people here right it's why dc gets clowned on for you know having really you know, really conservative style and, mm. um, uh, and, and, and just taste. Right. I say like, I joke, I joke all around. I was like, DC's got all the money in the world. Like some of the richest counties in America or mm. in the, the top 10 richest counties in America are all in the DC area. Right. Mm-hmm. All the money in the world and no taste. Right. And everybody's like, Oh no, no. But like DC is such an international cultured town. Right. Um, but again, there's still like within the context of politics and government, they're still pretty conservative. Yeah. minded, uh, where, you know, education and your your job um and your your uh your rank and power mm-hmm. in dc is much more important to people than uh culture mm-hmm. right 
even even if I mean, despite having the Smithsonian here, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so the I, I say like in New York, you could do an event, you could host a an art gallery, you can open up an art gallery in like deep Brooklyn, and people in Manhattan will trek out, yeah, to go see it. Mm-hmm. Here, you do something east of east of North Capitol, right? You'll be hard pressed to get anybody out there. Mm-hmm. That has evolved dramatically in in the past eight years, and since I last lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereby, yeah, now that we have neighborhoods, right? Now we, or now that we, uh, well, those neighborhoods always existed, right? I, I was in an Uber the other day and I said Noma and the, 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 uh, the, the, the Uber driver like laughed at me because he's like, Noma. Probably, probably does what I do to give you a, an impromptu, uh, history. Lesson. No, no, no. I mean, and I appreciated it. I mean, cause I mean, I, I, I know a little bit of the history too, but like I was telling another person in the car about that, hey, that, that neighborhood's called Noma. And he's like, Noma. He's like, what? yo, y'all tripping. I was like, well, what do you call it? He goes, he's like, Northeast over by the Burger King. <laughs> Which is no longer there. Right. <laughs> it is now graffitied out, shut down <laughs> with a fence around it, ready to be torn down. Yeah. And so, but like, but the idea of like these development happening in these neighborhoods, uh, quote unquote, and, uh, and, and now it has like these names, right? Like Shaw, right? I think North End Shaw is a complete joke. But like, oh, don't get me started Shaw, on North Bloomingdale, End Shaw. like Noma, Union Market. Union Market used to be Gallaudet, mm-hmm. right? So, like, uh, now that there's these neighborhoods, so to speak, like now there's a little bit of validation, and DC just needs a little bit of validation for people to go and explore it. It needs to feel familiar to them, mm-hmm. uh, for them to go really uh, make the effort to go and see those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and I think I, I keep saying like the best thing that could have happened to the city is the restaurant attention that we've been getting, mm. right? Because now it's encouraging people to explore the outer reaches, quote unquote, of 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 DC, right? The fact that you know, as there's in not downtown, all the places are not of- not Georgetown, okay, right? Okay, because you know, I tell my parents who you know they've been here for fifty years now, you know, when I tell them that the places I go and when I told them where I was going to live in Shaw, they're just like, wait, 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 no, 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 like. Like there's that misconception of it. There's still people who think that Logan Circle is not an, a good neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, exactly, right. And so, you know, now you have it's encouraging people to venture out to a, a neighborhood called Bloomingdale that they never knew existed, right? To go eat at Red Hen, uh, or now that there's a, a Masseria has a Michelin star mm. over by Gallaudet, like people are now venturing over there, right? And they're discovering these neighborhoods and they realize that hey, you know what? There's other sides of D.C. other than Georgetown, Dupont, and Adams Morgan. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that's where that's where it gets exciting. And, you know, obviously there's massive implications around gentrification mm-hmm. um, that I'm personally like very fascinated by and, and, and really trying to dig dig into and start to understand from a um, from a socioeconomic standpoint as, as I get a little bit more politically engaged. Mm-hmm. But um, but at the same time, it's just like it's bringing some prosperity to the city mm-hmm. um, and it's encouraged. It's it's quickly evolving people's perceptions of of Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, and, and, and people are becoming more culturally curious, right? Um, and like I I keep telling people, it's like, because cultural currency is not like, here's the thing, here's a, here's a great example in, in Washington, DC, right? If you had a shepherd fairy painting on your wall, nobody would, nobody would give you props on it. Back, back then, back, even now, even now. Right. If you're if you're a typical, you know, government worker here, like the likelihood of you having a shepherd fairy on your wall and like getting props for it or like getting any respect for it is is probably you're not going to get it. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas in New York. Right. You get a shepherd fairy on your wall. Like people are saying, what's up? Like mm-hmm. they know what's up. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so same thing is just like they value, there's a different value structure here, right? And they prioritize other things over, uh, over culture. As in the majority of the, the, the residents here in the area. Yeah. And so, um, and, and so what I've really been encouraged by is like over the past eight years is how that's evolved and right, people become more culturally curious, right? I joke that all the people that used to hang out in Georgetown like migrated over 14th and U, mm-hmm. right? Like back when you and I were hanging out there, right? It was just Black Cat, Bar Pilar, St. X. Um, Marvin. HR 57, right? Was that what, HR 57? No, I was saying Marvin was there oh, too. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and HR 57 hadn't moved yet. Right. So still like over. Marvin had just come in 2009, right? The Hilton brothers were just starting development in these areas, right? But those were the only places you, you went and like people didn't go there, right? Um, and then eventually all the development started and all these people from Georgetown decided to like kind of venture over east a little bit mm-hmm. and dip their toe in the hipster water, right? And they're like, oh, the, the waters are kind of warm over here. It's kind of <laughs> nice, right? <laughs> Um, and only now are they discovering these things and now they're discovering like, you know, the, the diversity of, 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 uh, of U street. And now you've seen the entire epicenter of the city, mm-hmm. all the energy in the city is now moved over to U street. Mm-hmm. Right. And it will continue to push East. Right. It will continue going to Shaw. Right. You know, there's a line, there's a line wrapped around the block to go to the Christmas bar. Right. Yeah. Which I'm still tripping off every time I ride, but I'm just like, really? Right. And eventually, <laughs> and eventually you know, in the Navy Yards, right? And like now you think about um, Union Market, mm-hmm. right? Like Union Market's going to be an incredible destination for, for, for people, right? Especially um, once they build that Trader Joe's. Right. Right, right, right. Um, and so, you know, DC's, DC's, got, DC's got a lot of, um, you know, has, has evolved um, and matured. Um, with its tastes over the years. Um, okay. And my hope is that I can contribute to to continue to evolve that um, well beyond, you know, um, well beyond, uh, you know, the Obama administration being here. So do you think D.C., because a lot of people still do this, um, which I wish they stop. I keep screaming like, man, just focus on doing dope D.C. shit. Um, but do you think D.C. will ever stop comparing itself to, you know, more subtle provincial cities like New York? or even L.A. and what have you, even Atlanta to a degree, depending upon what part of the, 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 the area you're, you're, you're talking about? Um, I think they need to. I think they need to continue to um, compare themselves to New York, L.A. Okay. I think we are far too diplomatic here in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. right? Where I, I see it's a, you add to that a healthy dose of millennial mindset mm-hmm. of just like, you get a gold star for just showing up. Mm-hmm. No, like if something's not dope, don't say it's dope. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of that has to do with like, because so many people in DC are so myopic. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot of it has to do with opportunity simply, right? Like mm-hmm. if you've had a chance to travel around the world, um, like, you know, I've been blessed to, right. You get to see like, it's an entirely different, like, I mean, for, for as much traveling as I've done, me going to Tokyo last month blew my mind. I mean, it is on, some otherworldly level yes of culture it's, it and, is on my short list of places to right. travel to and then i talked to and then i talked to heads that live in tokyo mm-hmm. and they're like oh tokyo is so boring <laughs> i'm like yo what they're like oh yeah the creative community is just here is just so mediocre I'm and like, they're there but that's their frame of reference because they live there i was like what you know right now that's not to say that dc can't do things with its own flavor mm-hmm. right like the next f- and that's what I'm saying. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, you know, 
when I say focus on doing dope DC shit, you know yeah. what I mean? Because there's a lot of flavor and 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 just raw talent here that needs to be realized and cultivated and, and what have you. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's what I mean when I say focus on doing dope DC shit versus just like, you know, yeah. um, what is it what is it that this city's doing or that city's doing, you know, maybe be inspired having traveled to or like researched what's going on, but not so much like, you know, well, I want us to be the next this place. You know what I mean? Kind of right. like that city paper article that came out yeah. um, a while ago about um, DC's the next Brooklyn, which no, which that in vibe, having lived in New York for a while, there there are some similarities, but that's another conversation for another. <laughs> but just that article like rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and it should have. You know what I mean? No, you you need to be the next Washington DC. Right, right, right. But you need to execute. You need to execute at the level of New York yes, and L.A. Yes, and yes. Paris now, and London yes, that and Tokyo. I, I, I agree with wholeheartedly, yes. You know, so like you don't get a gold star for just putting up a bar uh, and free drinks and hanging a banner. Mm-hmm. That's not it, mm-hmm. right? Um, you don't like, and so like you can definitely do it. Like, I, I, like you know, a lot of conversations over the past couple of months since the, um, oh, throughout the election, I mean, the election process and, and you know, after the results is like, I know we're not trying to get political here, but like, you know, the next four years, like, might be uh, where we see some of artists' best work mm-hmm. come from, right? Um, which is a super exciting. And imagine, like, where's Ground Zero? Ground Zero is here in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. right? So if I'm a creative, like, I want to come to Washington, D.C., so that my message can be put directly in front of Trump Tower. Yes. Right? Directly in front of the White House. Mm-hmm. Right? And be a thorn in the side of, of, of every... Um, of of every person in that administration, right? To make sure that we are not forgotten, right? But all I see right now, all I see right now is a bunch of fuck Trump tags yeah. everywhere. That's not productive, yeah. Right? But imagine if you can attract somebody like a Shepherd Ferry to Washington D.C. and his his really powerful political statements that he makes, mm-hmm. right? Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, now that 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 work has even more impact. So very right. very similar to what we saw in two thousand eight two thousand nine for sure okay for sure okay um and and so um my thing is is like is is that you know you could have a flair to DC right politics is very topical very like in the moment right now it, everybody's talking about it people that didn't talk about politics before right and the government and the future of our of our, of our country like are now talking about it mm-hmm. like at least anecdotally right 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 um i've never talked more about politics in my life in the past year than I, or than, I than think, in the past year i think most people can say the same you know and actually i was going to skip this question but now that since you brought this up i'm going to ask you before i ask my final question yeah. um would there be a benefit cuz i read your medium post your very first medium post oh yeah um um and about just you know trump winning the election and mm-hmm. what have you and um what type of positive can still come from, you know, the 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 state, the the country rather, um, despite there being this guy in the in the in the office? Um, would there be a benefit to the overall political conversation if more creatives um, had opinions to share? Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I think the creative community plays an essential role in in in, in government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, it, absolutely because all those ideas need to be expressed somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Now, imagine if imagine if uh, imagine like I mean, just think about I mean, heck, just think about the movement that Shepherd Ferry helped create with Hope, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, and that poster, right? That plays a very vital role in shaping the conversation, right? Um, you know, the, the exhibits like Manifest Hope back in 2009, Manifest Justice, Manifest Equality, um, Truth to Power at the DNC, mm-hmm. those things were intended to, to raise awareness mm-hmm. for social issues yeah. uh, while, while encouraging conversation, right? So, um, you know, and, and art has a creative way of, if we think about marketing, art has a really unique and creative way of, uh, of making sense of, of issues, right? So, um, uh, so Michael Murphy, for example, if you saw the, the piece at the, at, um, the Truth to Power exhibit at the DNC, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was a, it was a hanging installation of guns, yeah. right? On mm-hmm. one side of it, it, it formed the shape of the United States. So we are a country of guns, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then you walk to the 90 degrees to the side of it and the image of it became a, um, uh, a handgun, mm-hmm. right? Itself, the entire thing, it went from being the United States to a handgun, mm-hmm. right? And that, that was, that was an incredibly impactful um, uh, piece that just drew attention to, um, to how much, how much, what sort of gun culture we have in the country, mm-hmm. right? Or in the same exhibit, um, there, was, um, there was an exhibit of, you know, hundreds of toe tags, right? With the names and stories of all the, um, all the people that have been killed, uh, um, all the black people that have been killed at the hands of police this year, right? Mm-hmm. At the average of, um, uh, I think, three a day, if I was not mistaken. Um, and, and so when you see all those toe tags hanging from the ceiling, Right, you start to understand the gravity of the situation, right? And now you you now you now have a sense of perspective on how how big of a deal this is. Right, right, right. Uh, you can no longer be there and like, oh, I've never seen. I've, I don't know anybody that's never been sh- that's ever been shot by a, a cop, right? But you know what? You're witnessing and you're looking at a, a piece of art that shows you know X number of hundreds of people that. have and you can't deny that. You can't deny it. Even mm-hmm. just in the age of social media, like it's hard to deny. Like you, you, it's so in your face now when those in, when those incidents occur. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like you know you're right there, or like you 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 end up learning the people's stories. These 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 people's stories who end up getting shot at the hands of police. Um, that you do feel like you know them after a while. You know what I mean? So, um. Even yeah. just making that more surreal in that in that regard. Um, yeah, and then I think even like and there's a lot of different ways. I think the creative community is is going to be play an important role here. Is like I have a friend right now, and and with a group, a small group of, of folks, in their spare time, are now trying to figure out ways to make better protest signs. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can imagine taking the creative brain power of like some of the world's best advertising agencies, right, and best advertising creatives, and helping them make a better sign, mm-hmm. right, that that better communicates their message. Yeah. Like that's incredibly powerful. Absolutely. Right. Instead of your, you know, your rinky dink, you know, one with like a Sharpie. Yeah. Right. Um, and if you could open source that, for example, like that becomes really, really, really interesting about how we start to communicate these messages. Mm-hmm. Um, because the other thing is like, I think, you know, the creative community has, uh, is, is going to play a massive role in engaging the younger audience. Yes. Right. Yes. How do you get the 18 year old to care about their taxes? Mm-hmm. Right. It's really hard. Yeah. Right. Or the, the, you know, the 18 year old that, you know, doesn't plan on getting buddy, getting anybody pregnant. Right. Or, or having a, or, you know, getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and not having to worry about the, 
the issue of of of, of reproductive rights, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do you get those people to care? How do you make that feel more real, um, and and make it feel like or make people understand that it actually impacts you too? Right. 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 Well, I'm gonna end on this. Um, 2017 create creative outlook for DC. Who or what should people be looking for? Just in in your observations and what you see on the horizon, what you know is already brewing in the city. What should people be on the lookout for? So, I, like, well, selfishly, like, I've given myself the first six months of the year to really kind of break ground on this um, idea of a creative incubator for visual arts in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a lot of my energy mm-hmm. to be focused on. Uh, right now, I'm working with Yossi Surjant, um, with Task Force PR out of Los Angeles, who um, was responsible for the Shepherd Ferry Hope poster, mm-hmm. um, and worked uh, with President Obama um, uh, as a director of the National Endowment of Arts for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one that 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 put on Truth to Power and the DNC and and Manifest Hope years ago. Here, yes, um, we're working on a uh, an art exhibit. Um, uh, during inauguration as well. Okay. Um, it would have happened no matter who, what the result was. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, um, uh, but we, uh, we plan on bringing 200 artists together, um, to bring, uh, awareness and encourage conversation around, uh, several key social issues. Okay. Um, so that will be, you know, the weekend of inauguration, um, if all goes well. So, um, so I'm particularly excited about that. Um, I think union market will continue to be a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Um, because as they build out more retail there and, and things like that, you're going to find, uh, you know, they, their approach to development is unlike anything I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, big risk takers, uh, people that are really genuinely invested in the community, mm-hmm. um, and artisans. And so, uh, so I think, you know, uh, union market will continue to evolve and be in, and gain, uh, or generate more gravity. Mm-hmm. And, and really attract more and more diverse people and thinking to there. I think, um, uh, I think food incubators like mess hall and, uh, union kitchen, mm-hmm. um, are ones that are getting a lot of steam. I think uh, I read union kitchen did 2 million in revenue last year. Okay. Right. And that's like literally if I could take that model and apply it to the creative field and, and visual arts, like photography and, and graphic design and maybe fine art, mm-hmm. like that'd be my ideal, um, that that's that's what I'd love to do. Okay. Um, and they have a proven model that is is really, you know, bringing some attention to food in DC. Yeah. Um, which I think is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you know, there's uh the Lemon Bowl up in Columbia Heights, mm-hmm. or uh, I guess it's technically Petworth. Um, and uh, you know, they're doing these arts and crafts like um arts and crafts and um creative workshops for people. Like, hey, if you want to learn how to build an arboretum, uh, I mean not an arboretum, but uh um uh, not an arboretum. What are those things? Well, <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me because I don't have a green thumb, so I right. don't know. What, well, if, if if it has to do with anything with gardening or I, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> but if 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 you want to learn how to do crafts, like or like just like uh, knitting, for example, right? Mm-hmm. They're offering classes uh, constantly um, to help people explore those creative hobbies. Okay. Because um, I think what we realize is like one of the things I keep saying is that there's so many people in Washington D.C. Four and a half million people. It's the nation's capital when people say there's no creatives here, it's absolutely wrong. They're every, like one, I think everybody's has a creative side to them. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think there's plenty of highly talented and skilled, um, uh, creatives, mm-hmm. but you know what? It's a, it's a, it's a conservative town, pragmatically minded, very practical, um, and highly educated. So, you know what? People have nine to five jobs, right. That pay a hundred grand a year. Right. 
you know, and then they spend the hours between nine and midnight painting or they're weekend warrior photographers. Mm-hmm. And now with platforms like Instagram, right, you can, uh, platforms like Instagram, you, you know, you have these, these outlets now, right. But it's still a hobby for them. But I guarantee you like people like Gary Williams, for example, right. Master Williams on Instagram, right. Mm-hmm. Like my I know man, Gary. yeah. So like, you know, Gary was a graphic designer, I think at a defense contractor and was just like bored out of his mind. And he picked up a camera, had enough raw talent and, 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 uh, uh, and enough hustle. And now he's shooting all of Timex's, uh, social media content traveling all around the world. He's shooting stuff for Cadillac. He's shooting stuff for GQ. He shot LeBron last year at, in, in, in LA. Right. Um, and you know, how many Gary's are there out in the world? Right. And so just a matter of willing to be willing to step away from that comfort and stability of that job right. or that paycheck. Yeah. And if I can, if I can help you refine your skills enough mm-hmm. right, and elevate your work so that it becomes competitive and you can actually sell and teach you how to sell your work. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, then you can feed yourself. Right. Gary, when he gives his talk, he said, like, you know, uh, I don't uh, this. I'm paraphrasing this, but like, you know, the, re- the moment he realized that he could make a career out of this. Um, was when he booked one job that paid more than his salary, right? Wow. And so if I can help you commercialize your work, right, uh, and if d- people can help you commercialize your work, right, then now you have a way of feeding yourself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you may end up pursuing your creative passion, right? And so I'm a huge proponent of anybody, like, you know, the things that Morgan is doing with a Crave DC and Made in DC, I think are really fantastic. Um, and... Uh, and more things like that to be able to help. And, oh, you know, like Carl uh, Maynard, who's in Afghanistan right now, but, you know, the things that he's created with Walk With Locals, mm-hmm. for example, and, and, and photo walks on, on weekends, mm-hmm. right? Those are the things that are, are bringing the creative community together on a more consistent basis so that it isn't once every three months that I see you, mm-hmm. right? But we're building on a much more consistent basis. Um, I think Maketa will continue to evolve um, and, and gain in popularity, um, I, I hope they, they do something beyond just that space because, you know, you go there now, it's packed. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, DC needs a clubhouse for creatives. It needs a place where creatively minded, progressively minded people can come together, right. Um, and spend time with one another and challenge each other and inspire each other and have people to aspire to, right. Cause only then do you start to elevate the game. Right. Right. And then I keep saying this is like, you know, because the food is so scarce, like people are very competitive here. You go, to, you go out to San Francisco and you talk to entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, it is astonishing how collaborative they are. Mm-hmm. There's still, there's only a finite amount of money, right? There's only a finite amount of money, right, to go around to fund startups, right? But yet everybody's still so collaborative, right? Because they're not, they're not competing with just Silicon Valley. They're competing with the world, yeah. right? And so I always say this is like, your competition is not here in D.C., right? Your competition is New York and L.A., Yeah. Right, because if if you want people to notice the work, right? Uh, somebody said this: "What trumps where?" Right. So the best work, the best work is gonna, the cream is gonna rise to the top, right? And you need to start to execute that way. Otherwise, you're only gonna compete. You're gonna only gonna you're gonna reach a plateau in Washington D.C. where now everybody's telling your work is dope, but it's not competitive on the national scale, right? So I'm a huge proponent of 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 anything that starts to bring perspective from the outside into Washington, DC. Um, and then, and then also, um, looking at the competition as not my, my neighbors, but, but other markets and other cities and, and, and people in other fields. So, right. Okay. Well, let's end it there. <laughs> Cause Sounds we good. can keep on going. I know I'm sure we, can. we can keep on going. We can keep on going, but let's... we're going to end it there. Um, 
Victor, where can people find you? Uh, probably or do you, or on do the you, internet. Or do you want to be found? Like, I always, I always people, I always ask my guests if they want to be found. Yeah, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very active on Twitter, um, uh, and and Instagram. So, um, it's just at VNL on both of those. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you once again. I enjoyed this conversation. I hope everybody really get something from everything you shared because you shared a lot you know what I mean and um, I appreciate you for coming on yeah thanks Ron I appreciate it The All the Fly Kids show is produced and recorded at One Love Massive Studio located across from the historic Howard Theater in Washington D.C. Engineered by Mike, Mark, and Molly, and produced by Geronimo Nose, me. You can subscribe and listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or MixCloud. Pay it forward and let the people know we're here.